Welcome to Healthcare on the Front Lines. I am your host, Kimberly Aline. Thank you for joining us on this, our inaugural episode, Come Hell or High Water, Nursing in America. This monthly podcast will go beyond American politics to instead explore the inner workings of America's healthcare system and the women and men who make it work. Today, we're talking with nurses about nursing in America. You know, the current administration's ongoing aims to rip away health care from millions of Americans and to defund Medicaid by billions of dollars have taught us that the voices of nurses in protecting patient care and in improving care outcomes is really more important than ever. America's nurses continually defend the right of everyone in America to have quality, affordable health care that they can count on, and they're taking lead in their workplaces, in their communities, and even in their state houses. And they are charged with doing very special and essential work, be it in hospitals, in the operating and emergency rooms there, um, in people's homes and hospices, and in nursing homes across America. Nurses also answer the call beyond medical settings. Last year, for example, when hurricanes pummeled Texas and Florida and then Puerto Rico, it was nurses who were among the first group of people to show up to help and serve their fellow Americans. Indeed, nurses show up no matter how hard it is. And in just a moment, we will hear from our guests, all nurses, who are definitely intimately familiar with showing up when it's hard. They'll be joining us by phone for this episode. But first, I want you to hear Roberto Blanco's story. Roberto is an RN at Miami's Jackson Memorial Hospital. I talked with Roberto earlier about the time he spent serving his fellow Americans and Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria devastated the island in 2017. Let's hear from Roberto now. Roberto, tell us about your experience and, and going there. Wow, that was something <laughs> else. All the major unions, you know, cohorted and um, decided to create a release mission and um, that involved not just medical pro- uh, professionals, but also included um, electricians, plumbers, concrete, you name it, that were union-type workers, that, you know, uh, Teamsters Union and, you know, the Teachers Union and the nursing unions and SEIU this, and there were so many unions. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> when I first arrived there, it was devastating, to say the least. You know, my father is from, born and raised in Puerto Rico, and um, to see the amount of destruction was just, I couldn't believe it. I, I've been to Puerto Rico many, many times, many over many years, and it just was not the same place. But knowing that I went there not only just to help my people, I had a, a major priority, which um, was my mother. She had a broken foot. Within a few days, I was able to go to Cialis. I got there, and lo and behold, I, I come and I see my mom sleeping outside. She's got a broken right foot. And I'm looking at her, and I did not let her see that in my face. I just looked her dead in the eyes, and I said, Mom, let's take a bath. You're leaving today. Let's go. So I was able to do that. You know, I was really able to focus on our mission. And what we realized, the need, we started understanding that there was a need not just for medical attention, 
but food and water. And so through the direction of some great leaders, the nurses kind of just took over with the other union members. And we said, no, we're going here, we're going there. And we just started to disperse teams. We went to the north, to the south, to the east. We were in the middle. We were in areas where we probably shouldn't have been because it was very unsafe. But those were where the needs were. And what we were finding were people that weren't receiving um, the benefits of FEMA. Um, that included water and food and, and health care. Finally, the, the community started to see that we were making a difference. We went into areas that said, you know, it's been two weeks, no one's come. And, and then we had to reiterate, now we're here. I think that, you know, we left an impression with the people of Puerto Rico. We let them know who we were. We were union workers, we were nurses, we were doctors, we were electricians. But most of all, and most importantly, we all cared. What a beautiful collective demonstration of the power of people joining together in a union, right? Union brothers and sisters, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder to go to the aid of these people um, on this American island. These are our fellow Americans. And Mm -hmm. so I just think it's just a wonderful story. And and thank you. Thank thank you, uh, Roberto. Mm -hmm. That is just a wonderful story. Um, It's it's my pleasure. And I want to introduce today's guest to our listeners. Please welcome Kathy Glosson, Vicki Gonzalez, and Teresa Brown to the show. Kathy Glosson is an RN. She is the president of Local 199, which is a union of nurses and healthcare workers. Kathy is also a Democratic candidate for Iowa governor. Please welcome Teresa Brown, also an RN. Teresa is a frequent contributor to the New York Times. She is also the author of The Shift, One Nurse, 12 Hours, Four Patients, Lives. Vicki Gonzalez is an RN at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami, Florida. She's also the vice president of SEIU 1991. Uh, Welcome to each of you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, It's such a pleasure for me to be having this conversation with you just a few days ahead of National Nurses Week. So thank you. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Absolutely. So let's just get started. Um, Teresa, we just heard about uh, Roberto's very compelling story, his time serving um, in Puerto Rico following Hurricane Maria. Why is it that nurses are just always there, whether it's an emergency or a natural disaster, such as the hurricanes last year? Why why are nurses always there? Yeah, that's a great question, and it really gets to the heart of what nursing is, and that's our whole orientation, the patient. And so wherever the patient is, we're going to be next to that person. (laughs) And so if nurses hear, oh, there's a lot of people who need help in Texas or in Puerto Rico, then there's an impulse to go to where those patients are and help take care of them. It's who we are as people, and it's also how we are trained, and it's a very strong sense of professional responsibility that we bear with us in our job. That's right. Kathy, what do you think about that? What do you think about Teresa's response? Well, I think, you know, nurses, that's exactly right. And I worked as an intensive care unit nurse at University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. And that is, that is what we do. Uh, we see an alarm go off, we respond. So we are best poised to be 
first responders in, uh, you know, disasters like we've seen in Puerto Rico and in the U.S. So it's just a natural fit, I think, on how we think as nurses. Uh, and we don't think twice about it, honestly, because we know that's why we're there. Our number one uh, goal and purpose is to make sure that our patients and the people that we serve are safe and as healthy as possible. And so it's a natural fit for us to be some of the first, uh, first professions to enter into the sort of danger zones when we have these uh, environmental disasters. I, I think, you know, to echo uh, both Teresa and Kathy, it's in our fabric um, as a caring profession. Nurses, you know, true nurses really care. And so that is our, our first response to any needs, you know, whether it be in our community, whether it be in a national disaster or outside of the country. That, that is truly what we do at heart. That's right. And so this really points to a, another topic that I want to chat about for a minute, this, this notion of how nurses are using their voices to uh, advocate for, for better, for, for better outcomes, for better policies, right? And so, for example, last year um, I saw thousands of nurses band together, uh, union nurses band together to speak up for their patients to, to stop um, a very partisan um, health care bill. It was the American Health Care Act. We stood to lose a lot in terms of, you know, access to, to quality, affordable care, um, billions of dollars cut from Medicaid, and, you know, people even losing employment because of the bill. Um, and so I just saw nurses rise up all over the country to say, no, absolutely not. We are stopping this um, process in its tracks. Um, and so, Kathy, why is it so important for nurses to use their voices um, to advocate for change and for, for better care outcomes? This is important uh, for people to understand is that it takes collective action to take on these large issues that we've, we're facing, particularly now in um, our state and local and federal government. So, um, you know, having a union is the way that it levels the playing field and gives, empowers registered nurses and all workers, for that matter, uh, to have that voice in decision making uh, that affects us either in our workplace or in our state capitals or in Washington, D.C. And so that is extremely important because individually nurses do great work and we take care of our patients, but it's extremely important to use our collective voice in order to level the playing field in the balance of power, whether it's in uh, state government or whether it's in our hospitals. And so that's why having a union is so important. And we know that uh, most nurses and workers across this country want to have a union if they had access to a union because they understand that we can improve our working condition, wages, and benefits, but we can also have a voice in, po in the political arena through that collective uh, mechanism. So um, it's extremely important to be able to do that, and the union movement for me is, is how I've been able to exercise my power as a, as a registered nurse. I think that's great. And so let's stay right there for a second. You talked about using your voice in the political arena as a union nurse. What is it about what was it about your experience as a nurse and now as a union leader that just made you decide to run for governor of Iowa? 
Great question. And uh, from nursing to uh, a candidate for governor is not always what people think about. But, uh, <laughs> right. So what, yeah, yeah. So, so what's, what's happened in our state is that we've had a state legislature that has actually attacked unions in our state, uh, gutted union rights, affecting 184,000 public employees. Uh, and I work, worked at a, a public hospital here in the state of Iowa, so it's had impact on my fellow nurses and health care uh, workers at my hospital. Uh, and they didn't stop there. They actually uh, closed uh, mental health clinics, uh, defunded women's reproductive health, uh, just a disaster, privatized a Medicaid system that was well-functioning and run by state government, um, impacting over 600,000 Iowans' uh, health care. So as a registered nurse, it's sort of like going into a hurricane. I saw what was happening in my state as a disaster that was continuing to hurt the people of Iowa. So I stood up just like I did when I was helping form my union at my hospital and said, enough is enough. We need leaders in our state that are going to stand up for the people of Iowa and make sure that their health care is protected, uh, as well as making sure that their lives improve uh, and have leaders in state government that do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I could mm-hmm. uh, second Kathy's point, uh, maybe people don't know that every year Gallup polls find nurses the most trusted profession, which is wonderful. But I also feel like, wow, I wish that meant that people would listen to us more. So someone like Kathy really represents a vanguard saying, hey, we're the most trusted profession. And look, I can be a governor or I'm a nurse and I can write opinion columns for the New York Times or Vicki can do the work that she's doing that's so important for nursing and healthcare. So collectively as a profession, we all need to embrace that, hey, people trust me, I need to speak up (laughs) because I've got things to say. That's, and That's right. Kathy, I just want to respond just really quickly with, to what Teresa said because it's really important, and I want to share that with folks about how important and how powerful our voices are as a trusted profession. I've been traveling the state for not quite a year uh, running for office here as a registered nurse, and when I go and meet uh, everyday Iowans across the state, I'll introduce myself. I'm Kathy. Uh, I'm a candidate running for governor, and they'll shake my hand and they'll say, oh, you, the first thing they say is, Oh, you're the nurse. That's how they identify with. And so it's extremely powerful. And that's why it's so important that registered nurses understand how much respect and power that we actually have in the public eye and be able to utilize that to improve our healthcare system. That's right. Uh, You're listening to Healthcare on the Front Lines. Today's episode is Come Hell or High Water, Nursing in America. Vicki, I want to talk with you about why you decided to become a nurse and then why you decided to join the union. Um, That's a great question and probably an ironic story for me. Um, I left high school and wanted to be an accountant. I was good at math and um, not to say that, um, you know, it's accounting wasn't, you know, great. It just wasn't the right fit for me. Um, I found my classes boring in the first two semesters and I was like, "Uh uh-uh. I told my mom, this this isn't it. She's like, what? You're quitting college? No, I'm not quitting. I just don't know what I want to do. So, you know, yeah. a good friend of mine from, from elementary and high school said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to get into nursing. Why don't you at least give it a try? We can do it together. And the rest is history. That was 34 years ago. Um, yeah. So in, in every day of my life, I get up with 
uh, great enthusiasm. I, I love what I do. Um, every day is a new adventure and, and I get to help people and I go home feeling good. So, um, that's, that's really, you know, what keeps me going. Um, why I became a union member, um, uh, two people I can give credit to, um, as a kid, I always, my mom, you know, worked for Miami-Dade County here in, in Miami, Florida, and um, she was a steward in, in, for her union in her department and uh, mm -hmm. came home and told the stories. And so as a kid, you know, and a teenager, I, I listened, but, you know, it really didn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, somewhere in there, I kept it in, in the right file. Um, and then when I came to work at Jackson, uh, one of the ICU nurses I worked with in, in neurosurgery intensive care was a board member for SEIU. And, um, you know, she would give me little projects and, you know, can you help me hand out these flyers? Can you talk to the day nurses? So she was a night shift. So, it, you know, it was a good handoff and good engagement. And boy, the rest is history. That was 21 years ago. Um, you know, I became engaged. Uh, I give credit to Arlene White for that, uh, one of our former board members and and totally the one that hooked me. And then, you know, everything that my mom would tell me all would kind of make sense now. And, you know, as I got going with, with becoming a member and, and really just knowing that there's strength in numbers and all of us together can accomplish so much. So um, that's why, why union <laughs> for that's me. That's right. That's right. I, I love it. That's, that's a really great story, Vicki. <laughs> um, so talking about career shifts and, you know, Vicki went from crunching numbers to the bedside. Uh, I want to steer to Teresa. Uh, Teresa, you left academia for nursing. Uh, why? <laughs> yes, and um, many people find this a very odd choice. <laughs> right. Oh, they used to, but now that I've stuck around in it and become someone who writes about healthcare, they uh, act, oh, it's natural, a natural fit. Um, but I still get the question a lot. So, for me, I had a slow realization I didn't want to be a professor, like Vicki realizing with accounting that it just was not the thing for me. So then what am I going to be when I grow up? And uh, also like Vicki, I had a good friend who was a nurse <laughs> um, who, when I was talking about what I liked about being home with my kids, I had a toddler and twins who were just over a year old, and also what I liked about the midwives who took care of me she clued me into nursing, and it was something I had never thought about and looked into, and I was hooked. Literally a month later, I was in chemistry because now I had to go back to school, which I had sworn I would never do after spending six years to get a PhD, um, but I actually happily went back to school because I had to take a bunch of science classes, <laughs> um, and I've never ever regretted my decision. The one important thing is I always thought I would become a nurse practitioner. I'd get a master's degree, but I really fell in love with bedside nursing and I don't feel the need to be in a different role. You know, sometimes I'd like to have the extra knowledge that nurse practitioners have, but I love that role of being with patients. It's, it's interesting. I talk to so many nurses who absolutely love what you do, what they do. Um, you included Vicki, Kathy, um, so many nurses who enjoy the job. Like they have a 
an inborn instinct to, to give care, to take care of people. And so, Teresa, now that you've been in the profession for some time, what, what do you think is the number one reason that nurses are leaving that profession, and, and how can we change that? Yeah, this is a heartbreaking question, and for people not in healthcare, and I think even in healthcare, they may not realize the extent of this problem, but figures for burnout estimate between 20 and 30% of nurses are seriously burned out, and a lot of those nurses will either leave the profession or they'll come to work, but they're pretty much checked out, and so they're not benefiting themselves, and they're also not benefiting patients. And it comes down to work environment, which sounds very vague, right, and not that big a problem. Everyone has problems at work. But again, if you're not in healthcare, if I can just paint this for you, first of all, there's often a situation where there aren't enough nurses working on a floor to really appropriately care for all the patients. And this produces a lot of stress, especially if the patients are very sick because they can say, go into a code or suddenly they're not breathing or something happens that is a true emergency, not like an emergency in an office, but an emergency like this person is going to die. And to feel that there aren't enough nurses there to be there for that person or to try to catch that problem in advance is very difficult. Um, The second issue is we're required to spend more and more and more time on the computer. And physicians feel this burden as well, but constantly new things are being added to the computer. We have to document this, or a new regulation requires why, and nothing ever comes off the list. So it's just this growing sense of obligations, and it's very frustrating to be spending more and more time putting into the computer how the patient is doing, which means you have less time to be with the patient and actually find out how they're doing. Um, And then just general things, like there's a lot of inefficiency in healthcare. There's a lot of frustration about supplies not being available when they're needed. And then a lot of the mergers and movement toward a more corporate model of healthcare has been very hard because there are people who work in hospital systems now who feel like it really is about making money and the system, you know, wants there to be good care, but the number one focus is the profits. And so when push comes to shove, money is going to come first. And If you're a nurse and you go to work with a strong sense of sincerity about your mission, to have those three strikes working against you is very, very dispiriting. Yeah, and this is Kathy. I would totally agree with that. And that's why, you know, the only balance to that power is by having a a voice on the job through a union. Uh, that levels the playing field and the power dynamic be, between these uh, major um, health systems that we're seeing uh, consolidate and merge to protect themselves from the volatile healthcare market that we're in. So I, tr- I totally believe that. And so the only way to protect ourselves and defend our patients is through organizing, mobilizing, and having a voice on the job through the, a union movement or an employee association. So um, mm-hmm. has huge impact on our ability to impact our, uh, the, the care delivery. That's and right. I wonder if Vicki could speak to 
because nurses are trained as patient advocates. So it makes sense to say a nurse in a union shop, that situation is going to be better for patients because in general, nurses aren't good at sticking up for ourselves, but we're really good at sticking up for patients. (laughs) And so Vicki, do you have a story or is it something you'd like to share about how, yeah, here's where a union really made a difference for patients. Um, You know, burnout rates, as Teresa mentioned, uh, are pretty high. But um, I I think that, you know, as a union member and being, you know, having the power to speak up for ourselves, um, once, you know, a nurse has um, more satisfaction at work, whether through fair wages, you know, better wages, um, staffing ratios, um, in turn, that turns into better quality of patient care. Um, I think also nurses, you know, as we've mentioned throughout this conversation, are great in mobilizing into action to care for our patients, but we also often forget to take care of ourselves. And self-care, um, you know, sometimes when you, you know, have have done gone above and beyond, you know, throughout your shift and, and you say, you know, my God, I'm, I'm exhausted, you still get yourself up the next day because you're, you have a mission, you go to care for your patients, and so sometimes that can lead to part of the, the, the burnout in addition to the processes and systems, you know, issues that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. No, that's an excellent point. Yeah. Very great point um, from all of you. Uh, We're almost out of time, but I don't want to end this conversation without talking about the ongoing need to protect Medicaid, right? And so I was reading the results of a recent poll uh, conducted by public policy polling, and the results found that 66% of voters do not want to cut Medicaid. Um, Only 19% percent support Medicaid cuts. And so, you know, Vicki, in particular with you, um, why is it so important that we protect Medicaid? Why is it essential that we not stop working to save it for patients? So coming from a state, Florida, you know, our governor uh, refused our Medicaid expansion. And so this falls on the rest of us because we're, you know, the, the care is that is needed for, for those that are sick and those, you know, that are going to well care um, is there anyway. Um, but this really affects us in that, you know, if somebody doesn't have Medicaid, you know, whether they are in need at the time or it could be, you know, um, our parents and grandparents when they end up in long-term care, if they don't have that coverage in the end, some people may not you know, have access to care and they wait very long. And so the way that that has affected us as Jackson is, you know, by not having, you know, Medicaid or other health care coverage, it, it burdens our emergency department because people are not going for their regular checkups and they often wait until it is too late. And sometimes when you show up at our door, you know, with um, a tumor that, you know, is now inoperable, you know, that's really sad and it puts a, a huge um, emotional burden on us because we we are not you know able to care for this patient you know when we could have in a timely uh, matter. And I, this is Kathy. I think that that's right. Vicky's spot on. And I'm in the state of Iowa where we did expand Medicaid. But if they're talking about federal cuts to Medicaid, it's going to impact our state as well because we have a, yeah. a match of state dollars to federal Medicaid dollars. 
And that will impact, and sometimes people don't know this, and sometimes registered nurses don't even know this, that Medicaid uh, is not just for the poor and low-wage folks, folks that are struggling and may live in poverty and rely on Medicaid as their primary source for health care for themselves and their children, but it impacts people with disabilities that live in our communities and our parents, our grandparents, folks that are Mm -hmm. actually living in long-term care facilities are mostly, many of them are Medicaid, their, their care is covered by Medicaid. So cutting these essential services uh, affects everyone in our communities and our loved ones, and that's why, you know, we want nurses and uh, the public to understand the importance of the role that Medicaid plays in so many of our personal lives as well as in our communities in our states. Yeah, and I just want to add to what Kathy said because it's really important when you hear conservative arguments about how Medicaid recipients should have to work such a high percentage of Medicaid recipients are people in nursing homes. And, uh, you know, I don't know what they're supposed to do, take care of themselves. Um, what, what work would those people be able to do? So I would encourage people who are listening, don't fall for these uh, basically cheap arguments that are based often on not what's really happening. And we have an aging population somebody's going to have to take care of those people. And we need to keep our commitment to have Medicaid available to have them in long-term care if it's needed. That's right. That's right. It absolutely has to to be available. I agree with you that, you know, the the cheap arguments for the right are um, from the right are are so laughable, particularly around work requirements, because there are seniors, there are people with disabilities, and there are children Right. Five Americans. Correct. So, what, you going to put the five year old to work? I mean, come on. So, one in five Americans. For that. (laughs) That's right. But, you know, the fact is, one in five Americans depend on Medicaid. It's working people, people who are already working that need access to care. And then, of course, it's the seniors, you know, the the silver tsunami tsunami is upon us, as Teresa alluded to. So, you know, we have to be very cognizant of this. Um, so, So, thank you for your responses on that. I guess my final question to all of you, um, well, two-part question. What is the greatest challenge facing nurses today, and what is their greatest opportunity? We can just go around the horn. Kathy? Yeah, I think uh, the greatest challenge of facing nurses is uh, the aging of our population of registered nurses in this country. And, you know, the estimates are that we're going to need a million more nurses entering the workforce uh, between now and 2022. And given what we've talked about today, that the work environment, the stress, the sort of corporate takeover of our healthcare system impacting, you know, there are other job options available to folks to go into that may be more glamorous than being a nurse. And so we absolutely have that challenge in front of us, I think. And as far as opportunities, there are 3 million nurses in this country. That's the opportunity to use our voices and come together to make sure that we are out on the front lines advocating for a health care system that makes sure that every person in this country and in our states has the ability to uh, have quality, affordable health care. And that's, uh, that, to me, is the ultimate goal, and using our nurse voices for that uh, is a gr- tremendous opportunity because we bring that power and trust uh, to, in the general public side, and we have to use that. Love it. Love it. Teresa? Yeah, I would say our biggest challenge is profiteering in health care, just how 
the desire to get rich off of healthcare has really warped so much of our healthcare system. And if people don't know this, the U.S. spends more per person on healthcare than any other developed country, and we have worse outcomes overall. That's right. That's um, right. And that's just Absolutely. two really, really important data points. <laughs> so I would say that. How do you get the money out of healthcare? And our biggest opportunity is exactly what Kathy said, to bring our voice together and speak up about how can we make healthcare better. And unfortunately, nurses often end up arguing with each other. And really what we've got to do is come together and say, hey, we could make this country so much better for patients and for ourselves. Let's find a way to do that. Vicki? One of our biggest challenges um, in our profession and in healthcare is recruitment and retention of nurses. And so, you know, mm. getting the new nurses in, keeping our aging nursing population engaged and in fair and equal jobs. And that's where unions come in. Um, we have power in numbers. I, I think that that's, that's something, and I guess that's part of my opportunity. Um, you know, we, we have a great, great uh, challenge ahead of us. Um, and in the end, you know, as caregivers, we're all going to be here for our, you know, for our patients. But it's, it's keeping our bedside nurses, you know, um, in, in good working shape. And, you know, and it's not just, you know, the burnt out nurse that's there and, you know, really shows up the, the next day. It's, it's, you know, having a good working environment, and, and one of the, our biggest opportunities there is, is through our union. That's Amen. It. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> You're here yeah. to that. <laughs> well, this has been so great talking with you all. Um, unfortunately, we do have to end this wonderful conversation. Um, thank you, Kathy Glosson. Thank you, Teresa Brown. Thank you, Vicki Gonzalez. I have You're so welcome. enjoyed my time with each of you. Uh, thank you for being here and for sharing your personal stories um, about nursing on the front lines and, and the union difference. Um, I'd like to close by uh, giving a personal shout out to someone. Um, and I haven't seen this woman since I was seven. Um, her name is Miss Janie. She cared for my maternal grandmother in her final years. And, uh, you know, as we were just a few days away for, from National Nurses Week, and um, I hope everyone listening will thank a nurse for what they do. But I want to thank Miss Janie. Miss Janie was always gentle and um, patient with my grandmother. She was always smiling. Um, in fact, I remember her dimples. She had just gigantic mm -hmm. dimples, and she even <laughs> sang sometimes when she was um, helping my grandmother. So um, thank you to Miss Janie. Uh, thank you to all of America's nurses. We appreciate you. And a big thank you to our listeners. We appreciate you stopping by. If you have feedback about this episode or ideas for a show you'd like to hear, please email us at healthcare at seiu.org. And you can also find us online at healthcareonthefrontlines.org. Please join us again next month when we'll be talking about protecting Medicaid for the one in five Americans who depend on it. Until next time, thank you. Thank you.